After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, you know, I was just thinking back. A couple of weeks ago, we began 2023 with New Year's celebrations. We toasted to better days, happiness, joy for all. Those days are long gone, aren't they? This was a really heated week in the NHL. This was a rough one. We had complaints from everyone. We had disagreements. We had arguments. We had some rough stuff behind the whistle, before the whistle, in front of the ref, behind the ref. It's gotten a little nasty out there, Todd. And and it's a bit puzzling how some of the rules have been played out and in different sets of circumstances this week. We'll get into all of it and... I expect we'll have some very lively discussions on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Make sure you follow our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports, again, on Twitter and Instagram. On this week's episode, Ovi rolls Pajot, no call. Is it a penalty or isn't it? To blow or not to blow? Costly comments. And here's one I'm going to throw in at you that we haven't talked about previously. New unis. So the NHL dropped the photos of the all-star uniforms this week that the players will be wearing. They named the additional players for each squad. No refs were mentioned. That's disappointing, of course. But here's an opportunity to make good. The all-star uniforms, they're really not my favorite, but let's follow the South Beach, South Florida vibe. Let's have the same kind of feel for the stripes. We could use Florida colors, maybe a nice seafoam green stripe or flamingo pink. What do you think about that? Oh, that would be quite a look. I think we can put the refs in the seafoam green and white and the linesmen in the the pink and white. It'll look very, very Miami Vice out there. Very Don Johnson. I I think that is quite a look, Todd. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I don't, I don't know if it'll happen, but we'll see. All right, we, we have a lot to get into this week, so let's kind of pick and choose the different teams and games and circumstances. We'll go back a few days to when Alex Ovechkin, who has scored hundreds of goals and I think delivered even more body checks in the NHL, in a game versus the Islanders, J.G. Paggio is chasing down a loose puck. Ovi crunches him into the boards. Paggio is wobbly afterwards, needed assistance leaving the ice. He did return to the game rather quickly. As the broadcast returns from a commercial break, referees Gislain Hébert and Jake Brank are looking at the monitors, and they announce that the play was under review. No penalty was called. Ovi's sitting on the bench. Nobody's really sure about the review. It was an interesting conclusion that no penalty was made, but I think it was the right one. Everybody was a bit confused as to what was happening. 
But I don't believe this was an illegal check. No, it was one of those unfortunate hits where you've got a guy close to the boards and there's obviously an injury on the play, a head injury to Peugeot is what it appeared to be. But it didn't look like a dirty hit. I mean, Ovechkin's delivered over 3,000 hits in his career, so the guy knows what he's doing away from the puck and delivering those hard body checks, especially into the boards there. So you're watching the shoulder, you're looking for the point of contact. The one angle, it looked like it may have been towards the head, but if you look at the reverse angle, Todd, you can see it does appear to be shoulder on shoulder. Peugeot's Follow through has his body positioned a little bit lower. So I think this is one of those where you may have some head contact or you have a shoulder shoulder hit that drives the head into the glass. It's unfortunate when you've got an injury, but I, I agree. I think it's worth a second look and, and I don't think it's a penalty. I got to give you major props for having the stats of how many hits Hobie's delivered <laughs> right away. That's really good. I, I'm impressed with that. Okay. You know, it's, it's important to know as he's going for the gold title, uh, he's, he's certainly <laughs> out hit Gretzky. So we've, we've got to yeah, give him. <laughs> yeah, I think he long ago passed Wayne on that total. All right, let's get into the much discussed Panthers and Maple Leafs game from this past week. It was a bit of a cluster, this one. So there was... A confusing interference penalty that was first called on the Panthers, then switched to the Leafs, and then I'm not sure how it got sorted out properly, but... I, I will say anyhow, that... Anyhow, it got sorted out. However it got sorted out, it had to happen between the four guys on the ice. That's one of those situations when you can huddle together with the other guys, they can talk about what they saw in the play, even the linesmen can report into what they saw in a certain situation... The referees can talk about it and say, you know what, I saw this happen and no, that was a result of this, but I got this guy for uh, for a trip on the play. So you can revise the initial call. We've seen it happen a handful of times. The catch is it has to happen through discussion of the guys on the ice, not with a replay, not with video review or anything like that. So when we see those types of things happen, just remember that that's not a review situation. Okay, that's good. And and you're right. We have seen the officials get together and discuss calls and that does help in the process. Uh, there was a charging call on Radko Gudis in this game who collided with Zach Aston Reese of the Leafs. I'm, I'm not sure how that came about. It did not seem to be a charging call to me. Well, Paul Maurice said it wasn't, and I would be inclined to agree with him here. I mean, it was a, it was a solid hit. It was both guys going in the same direction, headed towards the net. Gudis takes him out. I didn't see any of what you would be looking for when you're looking at a charge on a play. So I, I thought it was... Maybe a call that came down to the official's positioning. Maybe he was making that based on what he saw in the play and what the outcome was. But it's a minor penalty. It's not eligible for review. So I, I think this is one that if, if they had the opportunity to look again, this may have come back. But it is what it is. A call on the ice for a charge. It's a minor penalty. And on its own, those kinds of things happen. The difficulty that Paul Maurice, the coach of the Florida Panthers, had is that they were shorthanded seven or eight times. They'd done a lot of traveling, and I think he and others were a little tired and cranky about it. So in his postgame comments, Paul Maurice kind of, well, we'll say expressed his displeasure with how the officials handled the game last night. And the NHL thought those comments were a bit offside and have fined him $25,000. Now, this is, I think, more than just being a little critical of some of the calls is what got Maurice the big fine. Yeah, I think so. I think you've, you've got two components here is his, I guess, the way he positioned it with uh, complaining about the schedule and then describing it as the, the NHL threw those two guys at us referring to the officials for the game, which were referees Pierre Lambert and Francois St. Laurent. And then Maurice referring back to some previous interactions that he had with St. Laurent, where he said that uh, the penalty calls had nothing to do with the players. 
it had to do with a relationship he has with one of the referees. So I think that and, and the implications there that Saint Laurent was calling this because of a personal grudge from things that happened even way back when Maurice was head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. Saint Laurent tossed him from a game for complaining on a few hits that injured some of his players. So I think it's been going on for quite some time that there has been some visible drama on the ice, but to imply that that's driving St. Laurent's calls, I think that's something that the NHL certainly took offense to. Sure. If you imply either or say outright that you have an official that is biased against your team, I think you can expect the league to come down pretty hard on you. I, I think so. Uh, Maurice was fined $5,000 seven years ago when this whole thing started when he got tossed and 25000 seems to be the going rate for comments against officiating these days. So not a surprise here. I think he knew, everybody knew when those comments were, were coming out of his mouth that there was going to be a bill waiting for him. Now, the seminar on how to discuss officiating would probably be best held by Mike Sullivan of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who also had some things to say about the officiating in a Penguins game against the Senators. Pittsburgh had eight penalties called against them. They gave up four power play goals. Now, Sullivan mentioned in his comments, though, that he did not agree with the calls but then praised his penalty killers for staying with it. This is a positive approach. This will not get you the spotlight from the league office. Right, and I, I think what we saw in that game was a tightly called game. Referees Dan O'Rourke and Gislaine Hebert were calling it pretty close. They were whistling a lot of the infractions that sometimes you see them let go. Sometimes in a game like this, they're called a little bit more tightly. I thought they were fair. I thought most of the penalties were earned. I didn't see much in the way of infractions that were not something called fairly or to the same standard for both teams. So I can understand Sullivan's frustration. Lots of penalties, tightly called games. Sometimes it's a little bit lopsided, but I don't think they called it to the point where it was unfair. I don't think there was anything biased in the way that they called the game. It just happened to be tight, and, and Pittsburgh in that game looked to be a step slow. So when you see those restraining fouls and things like that from a team that doesn't seem to have quite the pace of their opponent, it, it, unfortunately, that's what happens. So a little bit of uh, a refs against us rallying cry by Sullivan there and sticking up for his team. I, I think he knows how to use this from a, a motivational standpoint in the, the right way to rally his troops. All right. Florida remained front and center in terms of the officiating. And let's talk a little bit about their game against the Montreal Canadiens. In the first period, Montreal defenseman Mike Matheson chasing down a puck in his own end in hot pursuit is Panther forward Eric Stahl. Several feet before arriving at the puck, Matheson pulls up, leans back with a high heavy hit on Stahl, sends him to the ice, the play is blown dead, Stahl leaves the game and does not return. And this, of course, lit the fuse for the evening, which we'll get into more in a second. Matheson was fined today by the NHL $5,000 for interference. And I, I think he should have been called for interference on this play, but it leads us to an even larger discussion about this kind of hit. First off, do you think that he should have been given an interference penalty here? Absolutely. Minor penalty for interference all day. And it comes down to Rule 56, the interference call of interfering with a player or impeding the progress of an opponent who's not in possession of the puck. Stahl didn't have the puck. Matheson was between Stahl and the puck. He prevented him from getting there. So, yeah, this is an interference penalty, a pretty clear one, one that the official was looking at and, and made the determination that it wasn't going to be whistled. But to me, Todd, this is this is some folks call it a reverse hit. And there is definitely a situation where there is a reverse hit. This was not that or this was one of those where the conditions made it an interference. 
Well, that's what I wanted to ask about is the reverse hit. And it seems to me that if two players are approaching a puck, neither touch it, and one delivers uh, a hit a la Peter Forsberg to the other, shouldn't that always be interference? Well, I think you have two situations. You've, you've got the times when two guys are both moving towards the puck, right? They're, they're two guys battling for the puck, and you have a certain amount of leeway where you're going to allow physical incidental contact here. You obviously can't have a guy elbow or, or trip or do something to knock the guy off, but you're going to have some body contact there. I think in this case, Matheson ceased his battle for the puck when he put on the brakes and stopped to deliver a hit the other direction to stall. So I think you can't look at this as two guys battling for the puck because Matheson just dropped the puck battle to deliver that hit. And I think when we see reverse hits that are a little bit more legal is when you have the puck carrier. So you've got somebody already in possession of the puck. You have an opposing player coming in to deliver a hit. The puck carrier braces for impact or takes the aggressive stance and actually moves into a different body position to deliver a hit on the impending checker where you've got the puck there, you've got two guys going for the puck. And I think in those situations where the contact is inevitable and it's really just what the puck carrier is doing to brace for impact or to turn around how that contact will be delivered, that makes a reverse hit legal. But you've got to have the guy in possession of the puck. You have to have yeah. the hit coming to separate the player from the puck. You can't have something like this where the puck is already separated and you're preventing the defending player from even getting to the puck purely based on your actions. So yeah, it, interference. Reverse hits are a thing, but this is not that. Yeah, I, and, but you're right. The possession of the puck, I think, is the key element there. Yep, for sure. And that's what's critical to determining, was the player eligible to be checked on this play? And that's that's where we start. And that's how we first clear up the rule of saying this this has to be interference. Yeah. OK, so there was <laughs> there was another interference call in this game. Well, we thought there might be. Uh, Florida scores the goal to open the scoring from Sam Reinhart. Matthew Kachuk is in the crease, I know, surprise, but he blocks Samuel Montembeau from trying to fly across the crease to stop the shot by Sam Reinhardt. And according to league explanation, Matthew Kachuk being there was of no consequence because the goaltender would not have made a save. Here's the exact wording. The situation room supported the referee's call on the ice that the contact between Matthew Kachuk and Samuel Montembeau had no bearing on the puck entering the net, Therefore, it did not constitute goaltender interference. Correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that's not how this rule is written in the rule book. No, we don't have to have contact. And as far as I see in Rule 69, we don't get the opportunity to make a judgment on whether or not the goaltender was going to make a save. Kachuk entered the crease on his own and decided not to vacate on his own. There was no defending player that was holding him in there, and he certainly was in the way of Montebo. He was not able to move freely around his crease. Rule 69.1 says the overriding rationale of this rule is that a goalkeeper should have the ability to move freely within his goal crease without being hindered by the actions of an attacking player, etc. If it impairs the goaltender's ability to defend his goal, the goal will be disallowed. I don't see how you can look at this play and think that Kachuk's presence did not impair Montembeau's ability to make that save. Now, whether he would have made it or not, that's not in here. Whether it would impair his ability to do that is. And, and I can't see how you can look at this play and say he wasn't impaired by Kachuk coming in voluntarily, establishing body position in the, in the crease, having a significant presence, and just remaining there while the puck went in on the opposite side of his body. So yeah, I, I was a little bit uh, stumped by this one, Todd. So we'll just put this up to one of those things that makes you go, hmm. I don't think we can do anything but. Okay. 
Let's move on to the, um, what shall we say, uh, feisty game between the Edmonton Oilers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know what's really funny is that this game started off all warm and fuzzy at the beginning because Pat Maroon and Evander Kane had a couple words during warm-up. You remember, it was Kane that sliced his, his wrist open on Pat Maroon's skate and they were all apologetic. That changed very quickly once the opening face-off happened because Maroon was running around. He dumped McDavid into the boards. And a few minutes later, Evander Kane kicked down Nikita Kucherov. He did get penalized, but let's talk about all that took place here. First off, Travis Toomey, a linesman who was in the area, fell to the ice with Kucherov and cut his hand on his skate and apparently has taken 10 or 12 stitches. So first off, Josh, I think we say best wishes to Travis Toomey. Let's hope he gets back on the ice quickly. Yeah, always a scary moment when you see the officials get tangled up with players there and even worse when you've got guys down and and skates are coming into play. So a bit creepy to have the Kane Maroon interaction, have those guys on the ice and we have another skate cut injury here. Not that I want to advocate for officials to wear gloves, but hey, some some cut-proof gloves would have come in very handy right now for situations just like this. Hopefully, Toomey's okay. The game went on. Two referees, one linesman, Bevan Mills covering both lines there. So a little more work, but the important thing is that Toomey will be on his way to recovery. Hopefully, we'll see him back out on the ice soon. Okay, so after this was all broken up and Kane and Maroon were sent to the penalty box, it was announced that they each got offsetting minor penalties. And apparently there was some other stuff going on too, because afterwards it was announced that Kane got two additional minutes for tripping. Now, I think this was the correct call, but referees were looking at monitors. Obviously they were reviewing something. No one had any clue what was going on, which makes for very bad television and a lot of confusion. I'm not sure what what was actually taking place there was a lot of there was a big lack of communication is what there was if they were if they were going to review a major penalty i don't understand why they didn't announce that when they announced the minor penalties so this was a confusing situation even so much that dave jackson who was the official analyst also was a bit confused on the play absolutely and and you hit the nail on the head there todd of whenever we have a review situation whenever we're going to look at anything Let's get the call on the ice. Let's find out exactly what happened in this situation. You know, if it's a goal, was the call on the ice that it was a good goal? Or did we have a call on the ice that the the goal was being disallowed? And then in plays like this, where we have a, a potential major penalty for review, which remember, penalty reviews are only happening when we've got a major match or a double minor for high sticking. So the criteria would have to be one of those. Let's announce it because we saw the review take place. And there's no major penalty for tripping. So maybe they're looking at a slew foot, but you had Kane on the ground. So I'm not sure how you would be able to execute a slew foot given the pressure required on the upper body under that rule in the rule book. No idea what the major penalty was. Whatever it was, you have the option to reduce it to a minor or to eliminate it entirely. So that's what the outcome was. But what the initial review was for, Todd, I have no idea. (laughs) Something else that makes us go, hmm, this week. So... Of course, because we've had a a whole bunch of stuff go on, there's a a great big hullabaloo again that the referees should be made available to media members to answer questions after the game, which honestly is a pretty asinine suggestion. It's you you can if you do that, what you're going to get from the officials are and and you've touched on this before is you're going to get cliches. Um, uh, Well, from my angle, this is what I saw. That's why I made this call, which is not going to provide a great deal of insight. 
So I'm, I'm not sure that, that that helps anyone along the way. But what we do need is better communication. And I think this is where the league really needs to come in, too. I mean, I think we need better explanations of goaltender interference. And we'll cite that that Sam Montebo and Matthew Kachuk incident as, OK, this is what you're ruling but it's confusing with the way the rule is written. So please explain this better to us. I don't yeah. think that's up to the officials to answer questions post-game. Right. And I think there are definitely situations like that. And when fans are looking at accountability and they want these guys to sit in a post-game press conference and they want the media to point out that, hey, you made a bad call here and things like that, that's not getting anyone anywhere. And and pointing out that a referee made an error, we know it happens. It, it'd be like pointing out to a goaltender every time a goal goes in or every time a player misses a shot on net that we're going to have a... a discussion about it after the game. We know these things happen. There's a human element to the game when it comes to calling penalties. There's judgment and interpretation. Fine. Where I would start and where I think the league has a great opportunity to is to give a little more clarification on the rules behind the calls or, you know, what happened in this situation for the the goaltender interference, for example. Let's have the officiating supervisor either respond to some questions or perhaps we can have them elaborate on, hey, Kachuk was in there, but this is what happened with Montebo or just more than what the situation room puts out, more about what the, the rules imply there. And even starting with the officials announcing before we go to a review, what is the call on the ice? What are we reviewing for? It's all information. It's all education. And, and I think before we start trying to point fingers at the officials, I think the league can do a lot to deflect that by just explaining, teaching, educating, what is the rule? Why is this the call? And, and, you know, what happened on this play that fits under this particular set of circumstances that makes this rule apply? I think if we can't put the refs in front of the media, we can put the NHL in front of them, someone, whether it's Stephen Walkham, whether it's an officiating manager, to just provide a little more detail, a little more explanation. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that is where, and, and the other part of it too, is that if you are explaining these rules a little better in recent game situations, you're going to help your fans. You're always looking to bring in more fans. If you make this clearer and easier to understand, it will help draw fans into the game, which is the objective of all of us. Absolutely. Look at the world of social media clips. You think we wouldn't be tearing things up with video clips from the NHL that it took a controversial call, broke it down and explained it a little bit better? I think the league could be doing a lot there. And to pull back the curtain a little bit, we have officiating supervisors for each game. We have hockey ops looking at every call these officials are making. We have supervisors going through the games with the officials, sending video clips to them after the game, looking at the calls they made, the calls they didn't make, and even sending clips to all of the officials across the league to kind of level set on certain situations of, you know, here's some good examples and here's some examples of what shouldn't be a penalty. Just, just to try to clarify, just repackage that, clean it up a little bit and make it publicly available so that we can say, hey, you know what? The officials received a notification on types of slashing calls that we're seeing this week and what the standard is. And we want to release this to the media, to the public to say, here are the kinds of slashes we're seeing. Here's what the standard should be. Here's how we're instructing our officials to call it. And yes, it puts pressure on the officials then to follow that because the league has suddenly publicized this mandate, but it doesn't necessarily put them in front of the media. So something even like that, I think, would go a real long way. You're right. And there's a lot of people that point their finger at the referees. They are following the instructions. They're not the ones who are making the rules. They're just trying to carry out the direction that they've been given. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. 
Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.